you know, been talking to you about thriving in life and what Jesus taught about thriving. And I hope you're really getting to that place where you believe you can thrive, that you don't have to just survive. But today I'm going to talk to you about one of the hardest teachings of Jesus, uh, of anything he said. I think this is one of the most challenging areas. You know, we were just singing about surrendering it all to him, giving him every part of our world. Well, there's a part of your world that I'm asking you to give to him today, and it's your enemy. In this life, people will hurt us. People will wrong us. But sometimes the hurt is so horrendous, and sometimes the wrongs happen so many times that that person or those people become our enemies. Who's your enemy? Is it the parent who walked out on your family? Is it the ex-spouse who cheated on you? Is it the friend who betrayed you? Is it that boss that sabotaged your career? Is it some criminal whose violent act scarred your life? Is it the person who abused you? Who is your enemy? Now, a few weeks ago, I shared with you about my struggles with anger. And what made it very frustrating to me is I didn't know why I was so angry. But as I began to peel back the layers of my life, I, I realized I had some enemies. I, I didn't think I did. I mean, if you would have asked me, Brent, do you have any enemies? I would have said, well, no way. I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm in the not having enemy business. But they were there. I had enemies. Do you? In 1993, Mary Johnson's 20-year-old son, Loramian, went to a party in Minneapolis, Minnesota. During the party, an argument broke out, and a kid named O'Shea Israel shot and killed Loramian, her only child. Mary was devastated. She became filled with anger and hatred. She called her son's killer an animal who deserved to be caged. And that horrible event became a watershed moment in Mary's life. Because from that point forward, O'Shea Israel became Mary's enemy. An enemy is a person toward whom you feel hatred and anger. Do you have an enemy? I suspect some of you have an enemy and you know it. As soon as I said the word enemy, you started thinking about that person or those people. But some of you may be like me and you may be like, well, I'm not sure that I even have an enemy. How do you know? How do you know if you have an enemy? Well, an enemy is the person that you don't want to talk to and you avoid talking to. An enemy is the person you avoid being around. An enemy is a person that, that stirs disgust in your heart when you think about that person. You have an enemy if you continue to have traumatic memories about the wrong that person did to you. You have an enemy if you imagine and dream about getting revenge against the person who hurt you. And if you don't have an enemy, I suspect you know someone who does and who needs your help to get peace about what happened. What Jesus teaches about our enemies what we're going to look at today, it is counterintuitive and it is countercultural. But a part of thriving involves getting beyond the pain 
that our enemies have caused in our lives. And Jesus is going to teach us how to do that. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, what is Jesus trying to say here? He's quoting from Leviticus 19 from the Old Testament, a a verse that says, love your neighbor as yourself. But that and hate your enemy part, that wasn't in the Bible. That got added later. You see, what happened in Jesus' days, some of the rabbis began to, to try to mess with what it meant to love your neighbor as yourself. And they started saying, well, just who is your neighbor, right? And they began to develop the idea that you could love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You know, that way of thinking, so just who is my neighbor? Is is my neighbor just the person who lives on my street? Is my neighbor just the person who lives in my city or in my country? Is my neighbor just the person who shares my political positions, my ethnicity, my religious convictions? What those rabbis were doing in Jesus' day by saying you could love your neighbor, redefining who a neighbor is, and then hate your enemy, they were limiting love. And they were limiting who your neighbor was. And so Jesus expanded the definition of neighbor. And he called his followers to love the neighbor that's the hardest to love. Your enemy. He called us to love the person who has wronged us deeply. And has hurt us uh, in a very painful way. So why would we do that? Why would we do that? Some of you are even thinking that. I ain't going to do that. Why would we do that? Jesus continues. Verse 45. So that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He treats them the same. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Treats them the same. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, here Jesus gives us two reasons to love our enemies. The first one you see in verse 46, where he said, one day you will get a reward for loving your enemy. Sometimes we do the right thing now for a future benefit. And one day Jesus promises you will be rewarded for doing the right thing, especially difficult right things like loving your enemy. But he gives us a second reason. And this reason gives us motivation today. We don't have to wait for the future. It gives us reason today. And he said we should love our enemy because our love, if we love our enemy, makes us perfect like the Father is perfect. And the more we become like God in this life, the more we thrive. The pursuit of God's perfection It does something powerful in our souls. Pursuing perfection like God is perfect, it gives us the quality of life that we all want. It is what makes us thrive. The more like God we become, the happier we become. And when we love our enemies, we become so much like God. The great early church leader, St. Augustine, put it this way. To love those who love you is human. To hate those who love you is demonic. To love those who hate you 
is divine. When we act with God-like love, we are the most like God possible. And that is what causes us to thrive. Now, before I unpack the implications of this powerful teaching, I want to say a word uh, to those of you who may be new to church, maybe new to, maybe you're new to God, and you're not sure what you think about Jesus and all of this kind of stuff. I just want you to know you're welcome here. This is a safe community where you can wrestle with the teachings of Christ and why we follow Christ here. And I also want you to know this is a safe place to ask your hardest questions about our faith and about difficult teachings like this. And so if you want to ask your hard questions, you can ask me. You can ask one of our pastors if you're comfortable doing that in person. You can ask one of our prayer team members when, when they come forward at the end of the services. Uh, but if, if, you, if you would rather like ask in a more private kind of way, you can also ask your questions on our City Church Bandero Road Facebook page. You can just go there and click like or whatever you're supposed to do to, to communicate and just ask questions because we have pastors who monitor that regularly. So I want to unpack the teaching that Jesus just gave and how it will, ch- I'm telling you, this will change your life. But I want to make sure we understand what Jesus is not saying, okay? Well, loving your enemy does not mean things like this. It does not mean you cannot stand up for yourself. Now, after last week's message on turning the other cheek, my adult daughter asked me, me this question. He said, Dad, does turning the other cheek mean you can't stand up for yourself? And does loving your enemy mean you can't stand up for yourself? And because she's my daughter, I'm going to answer her, all right? And so I told her, I said, no, you know, honey, standing up for yourself is about establishing healthy boundaries in relationships. Standing up for yourself means protecting yourself from domineering people. Standing up for yourself means having the self-confidence to express your ideas and your feelings. And there's nothing wrong with that. Turning the other cheek is about not letting other people offend you and Uh, Loving your enemy is about treating a person who hurt you with love instead of hatred. So you can stand up for yourself, turn the other cheek, and love your enemy. Loving your enemy also does not mean you allow abuse to continue. If, If you're experiencing abuse or you know someone who it is, you should stop it. You should get out of the situation. Loving your enemy doesn't mean you just let abuse continue. Loving your enemy also doesn't mean you have to restore the relationship. Restoring the relationship is up to the person who hurt you. If that person is humble and repentant, you can then decide if you want to restore the relationship or not. That's up to you. You do not have to restore any relationship out of the teaching of loving your enemy. Loving your enemy is about making sure your heart is right toward the person who hurt you. It's about wanting what's best for that person. You, you love your enemy for God's sake and for your sake, not for the sake of the person who hurt you. So how do you do, how do, how do, you do that? How do you love your enemy? Well, first, I think it helps if you can remember the humanity of your enemy. And let me explain what I mean by that. I think sometimes when, when someone has wronged us in a horrible way, We shrink that person down to the size of the hurt that they did against us. He becomes the wrong he did. We no longer view that person as a confusing mixture of good and evil, just like us. But if you can remember the humanity of your enemy, 
That perspective can help you love your enemy. Now, many people forget that until 9-11, the most devastating terrorist attack on the United States or in the United States was not done by Muslim extremists, but by American white supremacists. On the morning of April 19th, 1995, Bud Welch waited for a call from his daughter, Julie, who worked in downtown Oklahoma City. He was going to go down and have lunch with her. But the call never came. Instead, he heard a thunderous blast. Timothy McVeigh had blown up the Murrah Federal Building in downtown Oklahoma City. So 168 people died that day, including his daughter, Julie. As the trial loomed, Bud Welch fumed with anger and hatred. Welch said that his, ang- ang- that his anger and hatred turned him into a person his daughter would not have recognized. He had become obsessed with hatred for McVeigh, the same kind of obsessive hate- hatefulness that McVeigh had when he killed his daughter. Well, one day, he saw a television news report with some video of McVeigh's father. And a a shocking thought came into his mind. He thought, oh my gosh, that man has lost a son too. And after several phone calls, Bud Welch actually arranged a private meeting with McVeigh at his home in Buffalo. And there the two grieving fathers just began to tell their stories to each other. And they began to weep together. And Bud Welch's heart changed. He said, I've gone to church all of my life, but I have never felt closer to God than I did on that day. When Bud Welch remembered the humanity of his enemy, he could love him. He could want what was best for him. And it changed his heart too. Now for some of you, Your enemy is a person, like Timothy McVeigh. But for some of you, your enemy is a group of people. A group of people you have dehumanized, and you've justified it. Maybe it's Muslim terrorists, maybe it's white supremacists, maybe it's the KKK or Nazis. If you hate them, and you think it's cool to hate them, because they're hate groups, then you're just like them. You don't overcome hatred with hate. You overcome hatred with good and with love. And if you hold on to such hatred like that, it steals your happiness. It takes your joy. Not the person who is already in a hate group. Love your enemy. Jesus' way is better. Here's what I'm trying to say. Jesus' way is better. I want you to really believe it. That Jesus' way is better. Love your enemy. And you love your enemy by remembering your enemy's humanity. Secondly, I think you show love for your enemy by forgiving your enemy. When you forgive your enemy, you let go of your desire to hurt him the way he hurt you. When you forgive your enemy, you trust God to make things right one day so that you don't have to today. Now, for over eight years, I had this ongoing email conversation with a uh, young woman in our church who struggled with this very teaching of Jesus toward, you know, about her enemy. 
And I won't go into all of the horrible details of her life, but basically her parents tortured her and trafficked her and then justified the abuse by calling her Satan's child, saying that she deserved it. When she finally got away from her parents, she got some healing that she needed. She eventually put her faith in Jesus Christ, ended up here at City Church, but she wrestled with her enemy. She hated her parents. And so she asked some pretty profound questions about forgiveness. And I asked her permission. If I said, you know, some of these questions are great. I think a lot of our people have them. Are you okay if I share some of the questions and my responses? And she gave me permission to do that. And so one of the questions that she asked was this. How can I forgive when the hurt is so terrible and it happens so often? And I told her, I said, you know, it breaks my heart to know that your parents treated someone created in God's image the way they treated you. And the horrible, shocking betrayal and nature of what they did, I understand why you feel reluctant to forgive them. But I told her forgiveness is not for their sake. It's for your sake. When you don't forgive your enemy, you remain attached to that person, to the wrong, and to all of the feelings wrapped up in it. You never get free from it. But when you can forgive your enemy, it releases you. You can let go of the hatred. You can let go of the resentment and the anger. And that's what can give you peace. Forgiveness is for your sake. It will set you free. It will heal you. And over time, I remember the day I prayed with her. She forgave her parents. And she's thriving in life. But she had to get there. Remember the humanity of your enemy. Forgive your enemy. And then finally, what Jesus said, pray for your enemy. And and this is what's powerful about that. When you can actually pray for, not against, pray for your enemy, it means that you've gotten to the place in your heart where you can at least express that you want what is best for the other person who hurt you, whether they've asked for it or not, whether they've asked for forgiveness or not, whether they've changed or not. When you can pray for your enemy, it does something tremendously powerful in your soul. And I, you know why I think that is? Because when you pray for your enemy, you become so much like Jesus. When Jesus was being tortured on the cross, his enemies were around him shouting insults at him. And he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He prayed for his enemies. And I'm saying to you, there is something powerful in that move. When you get to the place where you can really pray to the Father a blessing upon your enemy, it'll set you free. Now in a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer for your enemy. And I know some of you right now, your heart's just starting to to thump. We're going to do it. Earlier I mentioned how O'Shea Israel became the enemy of Mary Johnson after murdering her only child. 
Well, this is the rest of her story, as told by CBS Sunny News. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20 and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself, and I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience so of one. Steve Hartman, CBS yes, News, Minneapolis. For all you've done for me. When her son was murdered, Mary could have been an angry, hate-filled, bitter person. Instead, she chose to love her enemy, and now her enemy is her neighbor, and her love changed both of their lives. They are both thriving in life. And so today I'm asking you to love your enemy. Let's pray. And Lord Jesus, uh, we're gonna practice what you taught us, to forgive our enemies, to 
uh, love our enemies and to pray for them. And so I pray that you would help each of us to have the faith, the courage, the strength to pray for our enemy today. So I want want y'all to pray this with me. Maybe just whisper it, speak it, this prayer. I'm going to lead you through this prayer. You ready? Lord, I believe you love me. You loved me when I did not deserve it. And you asked me to love my enemy and to pray for those who hurt me. So today I choose to forgive my enemy. I choose to pray for and speak that person's name. Say, Lord, I pray for and speak that person's name. And if it's more than one, pray it two, three times. I pray you would bless him. I pray he will believe in you and experience your love too. And Lord Jesus, I pray over all who just prayed that prayer over their enemy. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would release them from anger, from hatred, from bitterness, anything that's poisoning their souls. I pray that you would fill them up with your love and your peace and let that love and peace cause them to thrive in life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for showing us another way. And my prayer, Lord, is that we as a church would change our society by pouring out love on our enemies and make this world a better place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for showing us a different way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.